Welcome to Empowering Chats with Susan Burrell. This is where I help strong, capable women excavate the inner garbage in their life so they can become more confident and have more clarity on who they are and how they really want to be in the world. We have rich, juicy conversations about, yeah, you guessed it, empowerment, but also about radiating your brilliance and loving yourself more than you ever have in your life. And who doesn't want that? So join me now for another empowering chat. Hey, everybody. So we're in March. Uh, the theme is reemergence for 2022. And this month, it's energize. So what that means to me is uh, feeling motivated and empowered to just be, just to live a, a happy, healthy life. But it also means to Im- to empower or motivate others. Energize is also about electricity and electrical current. So are you connected? Are you in that electrical field of a vibration of, I don't know, love? I'm calling love all the time, everybody. But are you also motivating yourself? Are you, by loving yourself, are you feeling empowered? by loving yourself? Are you feeling invigorated to be out in the world again and live your life? This is what energized means. So I'm excited and I hope you'll feel energized when you listen to the show today, because it's a good one. Take a listen to our show. So I have two amazing, really fun people joining me today. And in fact, I didn't say this before, but you guys are my very first interview of 2022. So I, I, I was getting to get, getting my stuff together, my act together. And I'm like, wait, I need, oh yeah, I need a piece of paper and a pencil. Oh, I need to plug in my microphone. <laughs> so um, without further ado, I'm going to welcome Meredith and Joseph, and they are the hosts of a really fun podcast called are you waiting for permission? So you guys, welcome. Uh, Thank you. Thanks for joining me. So I was on their show, everybody, and you you have opportunity to listen to it. It's it's on any podcast venue, right? And right. we now have it on my website, susanburrell.com. But we had so much fun in that conversation. I had to have these guys on because they're, they're just, they're two amazing people. So first of all, why the, why the title for your podcast? What, what brought that about? Were, were both of you like standing around waiting for somebody to give you permission? I was waiting for Joseph. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you for that invitation, Susan. I had been carrying around that title for, I think it was about 27 years. Wow. I was going to write a book called, Are You Waiting for Permission? Because I started coaching decades ago before it was even a thing. I was fortunate enough to have um, some opportunities to begin coaching. And I noticed that a lot of us, I'm putting myself in this basket, were waiting for permission. And as Meredith pointed out just a few short weeks ago, there's nobody out there giving us permission. Like there isn't like a role member. So... So we went back and forth when we wanted to do a podcast and Meredith, you could speak to this as well, but we kept sending texts back and forth. Like, Hey, can you come up with 12 ideas for a podcast? And then maybe we'll find one. And we did that for a while. Right. Meredith. Yeah. I would say for a good, like a week. Mm-hmm. And then 
it happened. Yeah. <laughs> and people have really resonated with the title and the idea of permission. And interestingly enough, the more that Meredith and I read, because we're in the same book club together, there's a lot that comes out about permission in different books. And well, I got to tell you, the reason why I said yes to your guys show is because I'm I am the oldest child. Right. And so I had to be Miss Perfect you know, straight A's and all this, where that came from, I don't know, except my parents must've downloaded it or it was generational, which we're gonna get to later. But I remember I was in my senior year of high school stressing about college exams and admissions. And I I was a basket case. And my mother one day is, I'm getting ready to go to school. And she goes, why don't you just ditch school today? I'm like, what, what? She said, why don't you just cut class? I'm like, what are you talking about? You can do that. Exactly. Who does that? And she said, well, you need to, you know, like, just don't go to one of your classes and go, go into town and get a frozen yogurt or something. I was like, my mom, I mean, I, I went to school going, my mother is like this horrible person ditching school. And so here I had this permission to ditch school and I didn't do it, you know? Mm. But that's how rigid I was when I was younger of, you know, well, I can't do anything until the authorities, the people in charge tell me I can. So, and then the pendulum swung and I just do whatever the hell I want, but. (laughs) Good for you. You're our kind of lady. (laughs) Well, so were you guys into at some point in your personal lives, uh, were you waiting for permission, like permission to do whatever your, your little heart's desire. Meredith. I don't feel like I, I feel that I've been really good about giving myself permission for the most part throughout my, my life. Of course, there's places where I wish I had given myself more permission to own my power, if you will, or to use my voice. I think those are things I'm still working on. I hope that I'll be working on that for the rest of my life. Uh, but I would say I've taken some pretty profound leaps of faith in my life that a lot of people wouldn't. Uh, I, I usually get an idea in my head and I just go do it. Uh, like I wanted to move to San Francisco. And I remember my dad was like, it's an expensive city. You, how are you going to make money? All the, all the, he kept putting up all the barriers of why I shouldn't do something. And I said, look, I'm going, I don't know, like, I'm not asking you to pay for it. I'm in my early 20s. I'm doing this. And he got a, he rented a car. He said, fine, then I'm driving you out there with your furniture. It's going to be me, you and your mom. And you have two days to find a place. And if you don't find one, you're coming home because he was scared out of his mind. Right, right, right. And we get to San Francisco and I found a place in the, within like the last hour, It was like dusk. (laughs) And I found a place at the base of Solano Avenue in Albany, right on the border of Berkeley. And that's where my life started. And I was fine. And I remember my dad at one point, a few years later, he's like, I got to tell you, Meredith, I just never thought you'd be able to do it. So I've always had that mentality. When I wanted to go to Chicago, I just went to Chicago. When I wanted to get in an RV and drive to around the United States with my husband and my daughter and in Mexico, I, we just did it. And it's not because we're like oozing money. It was because we figured out how to make it happen because it's what we wanted. It's what I wanted. And now we live in New York city 
And we're two artists and entrepreneurs, and we have just figured it out. And that has been, I'm lucky because I also married a man who's also uh, has that same mindset. Let's just figure it out. And has it been easy the whole time? No, it hasn't. It's been, there's been times where we've had like hardly any money in our bank account, but we've been fine. Hmm. Well, that speaks a lot of faith and trust to me. Uh, and, and I, I think you're very brave Meredith, because I would not have done any of that. It, it took me in my, well into my fifties, when I finally said, that's it, I'm divorcing my husband. That that's when I started to risk more, you know, that's when I really said, okay, well, I guess I, I guess I, I want to go to Scotland. So I went with Scott to Scotland with a bunch of people I don't know, don't you? I love it. And, and, and you know, and then I, I, I thought, well, I want to go to Italy. So I went with some women I didn't know again. And I'm like, I, and that, that was never me. That, you know, the girl that didn't ditch class. That was just right, not right. me. Don't break the rules. So, wow. Mm. I think that's spectacular. And, and what a good uh, model for your, your daughter. It's probably going to be the opposite. <laughs> Yeah, we tend to do well, that. Well, she though. gets to be whoever she wants, however yep, she, she wants does. to show up, right? Exactly. Not what about you, Joseph? Harper. Joseph, in your younger years, were you waiting for permission? I believe that the story that comes to mind is so similar to Meredith's. Mine was also about moving to California. So we are three Cali people in this call. Um, I had a very settled life in Wilmington, Delaware, Biden country, and... You know, I hated the snow. I was not a big fan of the East Coast. There was really nothing there for me, family and friends, of course, but I was in search of warmer weather. And my life really began when I hit San Diego. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I started giving myself permission to leave my career. I had a very strong career in mental health for 10 years with a pension and all those things that we're supposed to value. And I left it all behind. And I went to California and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to clean houses for a couple hours a day. And that's how I'm going to earn my living. And then I'm going to spend time in the sun and maybe writing. And I'm still writing almost 25 years later. So oh it my was a great gosh. decision to be able to do that. Yes, that is the, that's the actual key of giving yourself permission. And you get to follow your, your uh, what I call divine urge, that, that divine uh blueprint, the purpose of why you're here on planet earth, you get to follow it. And so many people don't allow themselves that. Um, it, so, it, yes. A go. question for you, Susan. So what about those of us who have that divine urge mm -hmm. and the people around us are saying, don't go to California, it's too expensive, or don't do that thing, or don't quit graduate school, or don't get divorced, whatever it is, right? There's people in our lives that are encouraging us to not follow our divine urge. What do you say to them? Well, what do I say to the people that tell me don't? Or, what, or for your listeners, what would they say? Well, I, I really think each of us needs to really um, develop the inner awareness of what our personal truth is. And our, my truth isn't the same as anybody else's, mm. you know, that's, that's just personal to me. And I think we all have, while we may have circumstances or experiences that are relatable, right? It, we're all so unique and different 
individuations of that divine spark um, that that it's up to us to really listen to our inner self. And that takes uh, building up self-esteem if you don't have it, which was my case. It takes um, trusting your intuition. You know, like Meredith said, I'm going to San Francisco. I'm just going, you know, and, and same with you, Joseph. I'm going to California. I'm just going. And, and so the, there's so many people that don't trust themselves. So they are waiting for the authority figure, the boss, the CEO, mom, dad, whatever, to tell them what to do. And it, my life is happier because I listen to myself. And during this current pandemic, I'm not listening to... I don't listen to the media. I don't listen to the news. I don't listen to the people that don't live my life trying to tell me how I'm supposed to live my life. Does that make sense? So I, so in my older years, I've become, instead of the good girl, right? I'm the rebel. I'm like, I'm going to do whatever the hell I want (laughs) because I've, I've lived long enough to realize the way I did it before didn't work. And I think that's true for a lot of people too. Right. Right you know, to recognize, wow, what I was doing wasn't necessarily good for me or wasn't, wasn't the thing that was fulfilling me. And, and, and people like you guys that find that inner um, awareness, like Joseph, I'm so, I'm, I'm so in awe of you that you started writing oh so many years ago and you still are. And it sounds like it's the thing that brings you not just happiness and uh, intellectual challenges, but it gives you freedom because you're doing what you do. I, I, I think that that's true for everybody. When we start doing what it is we're here to do, mm-hmm. then freedom opens up doors. Like you were saying, Meredith, you just, you guys just said, let's risk it. Let's just go for it. And then doors, it sounds like doors would open. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a, there's an old, there's a, a quote by Goethe that, um, says something basically of if you follow your, if you, if you keep your eyes on what it is you want and you follow that, then the universe brings to you everything you need in order to pursue that. And again, that goes back to trusting, right? Trusting that the universe does provide. I I think it's, I, I believe it's about trust. And I also believe it's about patience. I feel that many of us want the parachute to expand the second we take a risk. <laughs> mm, I <laughs> and love I, that visual. Meredith. And it doesn't, it doesn't, it takes a while and it it's one step in front of the next. And I, that's taken me a long time to figure out because I'm not a very patient person. I'm a very immediate impulsive, uh, sometimes to a fault. Sometimes it has definitely uh, has been a wonderful gift that I, I have those impulses, but no, it's one step at a time and patience and focus and consistency and showing up yeah. and having that objective really clear, that goal really clear. And maybe that goal shifts, but it doesn't mean you failed. I, I, I feel pe- people need to take the, the risk and just understand it's going to take work to get to where you really want to be, but you have to take that first step. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, my this this year's theme for um, empowering chats is reemergence. And so mm-hmm. I've been exploring that 
what does that mean to me? What, what, what would it mean for everybody else? And I think that um, people taking that risk, you know, just doing one step at a time, there still are so many that don't want to leave the house. You know, they don't want to leave the the thing that they've now become accustomed to, Mm -hmm. you know, they don't want to put the mask down or, you you know, whatever is the next step for all of us. There, there's so many that are just hiding out still. And, um, and, and that's fascinating to me because this, what you're talking about, Meredith, of doing, taking one step at a time is so important. And to um, stay focused on what it is that you want, or even if you're not 100% certain, just begin to move towards something that is is positive and could make you happy, Mm. right? And also in this day and age, with so many, I don't know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that have died from COVID over the past two years, it really brings home for me that we're only here for a split second. So I am really passionate about encouraging your listeners, Susan, and our listeners and whoever we come in contact with to really just go for it. Just freaking go for it because you could be gone tomorrow. I mean, we all know people probably that have gotten sick or that have died from this pandemic. So why not? Exactly. Right? Exactly. Please. We, I traveled a lot last year. I traveled internationally last year. Mm. And other people would look at me like, you know, with the big eyes, the bug <laughs> eyes going, holy moly. And I'm like, you know, it's just what you said, Joseph. Life's too short. So why not do what it is you're called to do? And that also means... Um, not just doing business, but being loving kindness to yourself and to others, because Mm -hmm. that makes life much uh, joyous, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So So Joseph, you. There's two really beautiful words in our podcast. And one of them is permission. We've already talked about that. Mm -hmm. And then the other one is waiting, right? Like what the fudge are you waiting for? So I'm sorry, I interrupted you, Susan. Your turn. Well, I, I, I well, now that you said waiting, um, you. So Joseph has written a, a bunch of books, you guys, and the current one that um, he wanted to, us to discuss today is called uh, rest, "Rest: The Art of Doing Less." I love that title. So let's chat about that, and then I want to jump over because the waiting piece I think is also integral to what you've been working on Meredith mm-hmm. this waiting so uh, but Joseph so this rest the art of doing less do, does that mean I get to take a nap every day because I'm I am kind of doing that already but yes it does absolutely oh, it does and you do not have to wait for anybody's permission <laughs> so I'll speak about this very quickly because I really want to hear what Meredith has to say, but I am very action oriented. I'm a coach. I like taking action. What are we going to do today? Come on, let's go pursue our dreams. You can do it. Rah, rah, rah. And I actually created a Facebook group. It was called A is for Action. And it was a yearly program. Every day I was posting like, try this, do this. Hey, what about this? You know, you can do it. Yeah, da, da. 
and a while after that, I said to my husband, Eli, I said, so I'm thinking about writing a book. What do you think I could write a book about? And he said, well, you already kind of wrote one with, you know, A is for action. Just repurpose some of that and, and write about that. And I said, oh, yeah, I could do that. And I woke up the next morning and I heard my coach, Barbara Leggett, her words when she said, if I hear one more person talking about pushing through. And when I remembered her words, I thought, I can't write about action. I really want to write about the opposite of that. And that for me is rest and giving ourselves permission to drop this addiction to mm -hmm. look how much I do. I'm important. My self-esteem is wrapped up in all the action that I take. And I wrote a book that's not published yet, but I'm looking for a publisher. Hello, New World Library. I am, <laughs> I am um, I'm giving permission to all of us to say my self-esteem is not tied to how much I do. My self-esteem is tied to my self-love, my self-kindness, and how much rest I give myself. Yeah. So, so this is, you, you just described my year, this last year, 2021, I, I literally got off the merry-go-round um, and just did an inner deep dive to, of self-care and self-love and taking care of my physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual bodies. And rest was a lot of it. And every time I get up in the morning going, okay, where's my to-do list? What am I, I'm supposed to be doing something. Mm -hmm. It was so uncomfortable, Joseph, for the first, like, three months, four months, I'm like, I should be doing something. And then after I would try and do something, I would say, oh, I'm so tired. I'm just going to lay down for 20 <laughs> minutes. And then it would be two hours later, you know, I'd wake up and go, oh, well, that was my day, you know? So it's, <laughs> it's, it's and, and now recalibrating, reemerging, uh, having had that gift, that experience, there's a part of me I'm realizing, I may just take one week a month off and just rest and do whatever I want. If I want to go hike in the redwoods, I'll just go do that or go sit and watch the ocean or binge watch a, a movie. Oh, oh, you are speaking my language. <laughs> yes. I, I, I have to, I want to mention, however, I would imagine there's a listener here that works for an organization that doesn't value rest. So I'm curious, Joseph, if you can speak into what do you say to the person that gets exactly what you're saying, but maybe leadership or their manager or their culture that they come from that supports them and their family doesn't value rest in the same way. And that because we're seeing that it's a big deal in organizational culture right now, burnout and burnout prevention. Mm -hmm. And so many people like what it was it in September, four and a half million people left their jobs in the United States alone. That is one form of self-care in one way or another, but who's the, how do you talk to the one person that's like, I feel totally trapped. I hear what you're saying, but I'm not an entrepreneur. I don't have that freedom. I love it, Meredith. Thank you. So working for a corporation that might be on average about eight hours a day, right? So that gives us another 16 hours. So my first question to that person, to that listener is how are you spending those 16 hours? And specifically, I wanna look at what words are you using 
during your what I'm going to do some air quotes, your free time, right? Are you spending time saying, oh my gosh, I am so busy. Oh my gosh, my life is so crazy. Oh my gosh, I don't have any free time to myself because I'm a fervent believer in the power of our words and the law of attraction. So if she or he or they are spending time away from work, constantly creating that reality of I'm busy and I'm not rested and I'm hurting and I'm in pain, let's start there. Right? I think so that's let's brilliant. start with our languaging and say, you know what? I'm not at work right now, so I am going to choose, beautiful word of the English language, I'm going to choose how I spend my time and how I'm going to think about my time. Okay, so yes, you're right. Person may be wedded to the corporate world for 40 hours a week. That's a big thing. That's a big commitment, right? And yes, they're supporting their family with that. So in those moments of grace, in those moments of not being at the, at the, job site or at the office how are you spending your time because it's mm -hmm. your time so let's give ourselves some grace around that and begin to co-create moments of rest and bliss so that when you show up to the job you are feeling more fulfilled versus oh my gosh i'm so crazy or whatever it is. And i love that joseph it, there, but i and i've also heard uh i have a a relative who constantly says, it's killing me. It's killing me. You know, I'm watching your words, whether it's his job or the pandemic or a relationship, it's killing me. To watch how, what, how you speak out into the universe, like you just said, it, it, it's a co-creation all the time. And so I love that you, uh, that the question that becomes so how am I spending my free time and what brings me happiness and joy and bliss? I love that. What am I saying to myself? What am I saying to myself? We're our harshest uh, taskmasters in a way and or critics and judges. So, yeah. So the rest, the art of doing less. So asking those questions that you just asked that that's a beginning point and is it also about slicing off do you know what i mean like um editing out or slicing off activity yes so one of the chapters talks about donald miller a brilliant teacher and coach and author and he in his coaching he asks, what's the number one word that all very successful people use in their languaging. And I, as an improviser, I'm like, oh, it's going to be yes. I know that it's going to be yes. And he said, it's no. Uh -huh. So we get to look at how do we say no in our lives? Where do we say no? And how do we do it without feeling guilty? You know, and we have to say yes to some things, right? Like we can't yeah. leave the kids sitting outside in the schoolyard forever, right? We have to go pick them up. But there are other things that, again, I think it's wrapped up in our self-esteem. We say yes to a lot of things so that people will love us. Yeah. Right? I don't want to go to the bridal shower, but Mary will be upset if I don't go. So I'm going to go even though I really need to rest. So I believe our rest is really tied into how much we love ourselves and how much we honor ourselves and what are we teaching our children? Yes. And that's so important. We, 
oftentimes I, I, well, I'll just speak for me, you guys, but oftentimes, you know, I have a 27 year old son. Um, but during the course of his youth, you know, there was, I was in a hurry all the time. Okay. Hurry up, mm. hurry up, get in the car. We got to get to sure. soccer so we can get home and I've got to go to a rehearsal or, you know, I was directing plays and, st- you know, I got to go do this. So hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, you know? And the, the, so the rush was just constant and there wasn't the, um, time because Susan at that point didn't know how to do that. Um, there wasn't the time just to, okay, let's just sit down and play a board game. Mm. You know, we did make time to read together, but the, you know, the rest of it was like, okay, let's go, 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 go. And it, it was all, it, we were in LA at the time too. That's kind of that culture, you know, busy, 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 busy. So, yeah. So Meredith, let's talk about your, um, what you're currently working on. So Meredith got everybody, this is a big deal. And she's going to explain to us why it's a big deal, but she is, has been given an opportunity to workshop a one woman show that she's written. I, I think that's thrilling. She's in New York to do it. And, and that's even a bigger deal. You know, it's not like she's in Podunk, Iowa. Sorry, Podunk. I, I don't mean to, I'm not dissing you, but, but New York city is where you go to do theater and you've been given an opportunity to workshop a show. I think that's so fabulous. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited. It's uh, yeah. It, when you get space and people say they want to be the, you know, help you produce something you it's I'm, I'm very happy because space is not cheap here in New York city. <laughs> yeah. uh, there's a wonderful organization called culture lab and it's a multi use space. It's a gallery. Uh, it's also, uh, uh, there's a theater in there. There's a lot of musicians perform there, uh, actors. And so they have a residency and I was chosen as one of the resident artists to workshop this piece. And the performance will probably happen around June or July this summer. And it's a piece I was workshopping before the pandemic, but it was, um, a much more complicated piece. It was called father project. It is inspired by the death of my father who passed away in 2011. And his death is, is still kind of a mystery. He, he had a, a brain injury and he was in a coma for a month. And during that coma, my mother and I found uh, out uh, things that he was keeping secret from the family. So I've been graveling with that. And he also had PTSD. Uh, he was a Marine in the Vietnam War. He was also a police officer for the Phoenix Police Department right after he got out of uh, the Marines. So there's, he's, he lived in trauma for several years of his life. And when you're not properly treated for trauma, you, you leave generational trauma behind. And I have been investigating that. And I've realized in my investigation of just his story alone that I have actually been investigating it my whole life. There was, I never felt like I fit in. I never felt, I never understood why we lived in the suburbs. I never understood why we, I grew up in the town that I lived in, though it's a beautiful town and I've met beautiful people. I just never felt like I fit in. And partly it's because I didn't understand why people I've, I've just always had a hard time when I'm 
when I'm in, when I'm in a room with people that are not being truthful or transparent or authentic. And I always, always like, why is it everyone acts this way when the door is closed? And then they act this way when they're out in public. It's like, they're two totally different people. And that was modeled to me in my childhood, just through my, my parents and their friend circles. I was always just like, what that? And we're going to church, but my dad was just cussing like a sailor and drinking last night. And now all of a sudden we're all getting crammed into the freaking car and we have to go sit in a church. Why? Like it was always, all of it was really confusing to me. And then what they're teaching at church is completely opposite to what my experience is at the at home. And I, that, so my whole life, I've been an investigation around that. So when this death happened, I had this show, I did a first work in progress. And for people who are listening, a work in progress is it's not the final piece. It's a workshop. You're, you're working things out. Actors have script in hand. Uh, I had a live musician, my husband on stage, and I was working it out and then pandemic hit. And I was like, God, there's just something about this piece. that's not resonating. It's not moving forward. The energy with it is blocked. It's just blocked. I don't know if I need to do it anymore. I was going to close the book on it, put it up on the shelf and say, eh, maybe someday it'll reemerge. I don't know. And then I just saw an image. It was, I got a, a newsletter and it was an image from another project that's happening in the Bay Area. And this woman's just sitting in this booth. It's clear. It's all see-through. And I'm like, that's it. Oh my God, my show. It's, I, that's it. And now it's a one-person show. It's me. The protagonist is uh, loosely based off of my own mother. I love you, mom. And uh, loosely based off of these idyllic, like uh, June Cleaver, and then also Elise Keaton from Family Ties because she was in the 1980s. She was a progressive mom. She had, she was an architect. She was raising three children. She, uh, what I was also named after Meredith Baxter Bernie. So there's that piece too. So all of these little components, and then I want the nuances of the 1950s and the post, the post, um, like World War II GI Bill, where we started to form these cul-de-sacs and these suburbs, and we started putting people in the ticky-tacky houses, mm-hmm. and so. That inspired me to do this show as the protagonist in a uh, seven foot by 10 foot, six foot high plexiglass room that's all decorated like it's from the 1980s with nuances of the 50s and all the light sources are done on the inside of the room. And then the antagonist uh, is played by through two two, uh, TV screens. And oh my it'll God, be, I think that's brilliant. Yeah. And then my, and it'll be all like part of it is my thoughts. What I think something is the stories in my head about what I think my husband's doing versus what the reality is. And so what I think is happening will be in all in black and white. And then what the reality is will be in color. Oh and, my God. I got chills. No wonder I got <laughs> chills when you brought this up before we started recording. Mm-hmm. This is brilliant, Meredith. I will I, meet you in New York, Susan. I'm yes, I'm coming. I'm coming. As long as there's no snow, I'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, I'm very, I mean, and I'm very excited. I, my first rehearsal is tomorrow and I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just excited to see what unfolds with the source material I already have uh, from interviews and letters and, and other sources and uh, how I'm going to turn this into a show and there'll be movement. It'll, it's, I'm, I'm very excited about this multimedia uh, approach uh, to it. I think it's going to be 
Well, I already got the affirmation before you even <laughs> explained it to me that it's going to be, it's going to be awesome, Meredith. I just know that. And it's interesting that this is the, this is what you're addressing right now, because um, I think that's this trauma is many of us are carrying that kind of trauma of the pr presentation is one thing and the home life is different. And I, I, I love my father. But when I was growing up, he was a rageaholic because he was uh, an only child of alcoholic parents. And so he would just get angry. The only way he could get seen and heard was to have just be have a temper tantrum, oh, you know, and baby. Oh. and so I, I, I mean, I just now, you know, he's 80 going to be 88 and he's he's sharing stories with me that I'm like, well, no wonder. Well, oh, my gosh. And I just my compassion and my love for him has just grown in the last couple of years. But, um, but I remember we, you know, you could see the, the ticking of the time bomb, right. Inside the house, the temperature would go up, you know, the, the, you know, and so everybody would, would shift their behavior. And me being the good girl would tell my little brother to, you know, don't be you don't be you. Cause you're going to trigger him. And then when my dad would go off, it, there was nobody left standing for a while. And, um, and, and it's just because he never had, he never had love from his parents. Right. And, and that's also generational yeah. that those traumas are handed down through multi lineages, mm -hmm. not just the circumstances of a particular life. Like you said, your dad was a ex Marine and a cop and there's Th that alone is is enough right. but when it's when it's generational um and we don't know as children we don't know we just know our parents are behaving that way or acting out or 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 lying and and it sounds like you were very intuitive meredith to at, at a, a young age to go there this isn't there's something not right here this isn't yeah because you can't, I think, I, I know that children are very intelligent people. <laughs> we, and my mom tried so hard, God bless her, to like protect us. Yep. But we were, but I'm like, what are you protecting us from? I don't understand what you're protecting us from. So that becomes a pressure cooker. Mm -hmm. And you, there's no understanding for why. And you don't understand where your feelings are coming from or why your father's feeling that way or your mom is feeling this way. It's just it becomes, and then it becomes toxic. And, uh, and I, it's, I'm, you know, I, ultimately I, I had, I had a great relationship with my dad towards the end and I have a wonderful relationship with my mom. And, and it's interesting as you were saying, Susan, about your dad revealing these stories about his past. My mom is now in that place where she's starting to share more stories and they seriously come out of the blue. Yeah where I find out she lived in some town and I think it was Idaho and she, she had multiple stepfathers and she would go to church by herself at the age of 10, because that's where she felt safe. I was like, Oh my God. Like I, I, uh, I had no idea. And so my bond with my mom grows because I'm able to empathize and have more compassion for her in her life than I did when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Yes. Joseph. Hey, Joseph. I have a question about, your mom, your lovely Suzanne, um, will she know about the show? Will she be invited to the show? And have you thought about, because I know you so well, Meredith, how will you caretake for your mom 
when she sees you acting out, right? Acting her life. I, yeah, I think that's it's a wonderful question. Uh, she does know about the show. She, I, I told her it has shifted. She would like to do more interviews with me about what it was like to be married to my dad when he was having his uh, flashbacks and his PTSD was resurfacing when I was in, uh, I was around 11 or 12 at that time. Uh, she knows about it. She does not know that the character will be loosely based off of her yet, but she will. I, I will have the conversation with her and I will let her know that this is a theatricalized performance. Not everything is going to be uh, based in truth, but inspired from truth. Got it. Uh, I want to say that you know, there's so many, an infinite number of things we can do stories about, pieces mm -hmm. of theater and books about. And it is incredibly brave of you to raise your hand and say, I want to talk about my family. Mm -hmm. I want to Thank talk you. about my childhood and growing up. I mean, that is, talk about giving yourself permission and not waiting. You could have written about anything, right? You're a brilliant writer, you're a performer, you've been doing this for decades to say, this is the story that I want to tell. Meredith, as you're going through this, are you finding uh, areas in your within yourself that you feel like are, are being healed or accepted or forgiven? A hundred percent. Yeah, thank you for that question. Definitely in that first round with the when it was father project, that was mm -hmm. the working title for it. There was, there was a lot that I went through and actually it took me 10 years to even start doing that. My dad passed away in 2011. Uh, I had, I, I had to start telling the story first to people from a wounded place. I would, I remember I went to a show with a couple of girlfriends and then we went out for drinks afterwards. And I, I was like, okay, I feel, I feel brave here. I feel safe. And I love these women. Let me tell you the story about my dad when he died. And this was like a year after his death. And I remember them listening, going, wow, that's an, that's an intense story. That's an incredible story. And thank you for being so vulnerable with us and, and sharing that. And then I would leave and I'd go, oh God, that feels painful. Oh, that felt really painful to share. I was, I, I had these feelings of like, I'm worried about judgment, worried about what other people would think. And then I, I was able to like breathe into that and go, okay baby steps. And then it would take be like four or five months. And then I would just, and I call it like peppering it in. I was just like, now I'm going to tell this person, how did that feel? How did you feel Meredith? How did you feel? How did you feel? And like, ouch, nope, too much. And I, it took time for me to be able to like heal the wound, if you will, and then be able to tell the story. And I think what's important is that I was able to own the story as my own because I had, it's also my story. I get to speak the truth from my point of view. Yeah. And my mom has her story mm -hmm. and her point of view. And I feel that I was protecting her by not wanting to share the story when I, when I was able to kind of heal more. And I've realized two things. One is honor your story. Only speak of your truth. I can't take, I can't take, I, I can't speak from my mom's point of view. And then the second one is don't, don't do the work from an open wound. Oh, that's brilliant. And I don't have an open think, wound around it anymore. A lot of people think when they're, when they are in this, that seepage, you know, 
they think that it's better to just run around telling everybody what what's happened. And, and that, that doesn't help with the healing process. It can be re-traumatizing. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so now I feel like I can own it and I can have a different perspective on it. And I'm, I'm not as emotionally tied to it in the same way. Uh, and that feels really, there's a lot of freedom in that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I just want to suggest also uh, not for your show, uh, but some of the work that I was doing this, I don't know if I mentioned this to you guys when I was on your show, but I did generational healing work because I was doing um, daily meditations. I create guided meditations um, for clients, but also for myself. You know, it's like I, I, if I'm doing some inner work or journaling and, and something pops up, I'm like, uh oh, I better sit down with this and see what it is. And I go into these um, meditations. And so one point I was working on, um, on not being good enough, you know, not having self-esteem. Well, where did that come from? And, you know, well, it came from mom and dad. No, no. Where else did it come from? And it went back through the lineage of, through my mom's family, especially, um, of not being good enough. And we we're talking like centuries mm, it went oh, back wow, wow, wow. and I was like holy moly and then I realized it also went back through my dad's side but in a whole different way so mm -hmm. I'm sitting there with these two lineages really far back where we're not worthy right mm. we there's a whole nother conversation we can have because there's there's uh, um religions that tell you you're not mm. you're not valuable you're not worthy and so it get, and then that gets handed down. Like my, my mom's side of the family was Southern Baptist. I don't know where they were a couple centuries before Southern Baptist came around, but you know, so this not being good enough, not being worthy, not being cherished, not being respected, got handed down until it was a behavior that each generation just did. You know, so that the, the child growing up in a household of that never, never stood a chance to build their own self-esteem, you know? Yeah. So mm -hmm. this, and, but then to heal that generational stuff was amazing because I, I heard loud and clear, you're just going to love them. They didn't get love. They mm -hmm. didn't get, they weren't honored and respected. So you're just going to love them all the way up the line, all the way back. And then I was able to turn and face the seven generations coming, right? The future and love that through so that there was no, I mean, I'm very clear that that trauma is not going through my, to my grandchildren and great grandchildren. It, it ends, beautiful. it ends with me, oh, you know, that's it, beautiful. it ends with oh, me. And so beautiful. I've done that with other things like my, my dad's rage, you know, and I was becoming a rate when I was in this miserable marriage that I didn't know how miserable I was. I was becoming a rager. And, uh, and, and when I realized that my son was like nine, I said, that's it. It stops with me. I'm, mm -hmm. I, mm -mm, I'm stopping it. I will, I will, you know, just own it and release it. Yeah. yeah. Joseph. Beautiful. So I just, there was something that you said, Meredith, when you were talking about nothing further, and, and I wanted to just skip back to that 
because it was so powerful. So you go out to a play, you're having drinks afterwards with your girlfriends, you share a little bit, you're walking home or you're taking the bus, whatever, and you think, oh, that was really, that feels uncomfortable, right? I forget what words you use, but that, that felt really scary to me. So for most of us, for our listeners, we have that experience, we share something, it feels uncomfortable, and then we shut it down. Oh, yeah. We're like, oh, you know what? That was scary. I'm just going to pack that away. I'm going to put it up on the shelf. So I'm wondering about your process of creativity and healing. What was it about you that a couple months later you decided to pepper it again? Because I think that would be really helpful for the listeners because there are some things that they've shared. They felt shitty afterward. But maybe now it could be a little safer for them. Yeah, you know, it- I was directing a show for my friend, Jim Walker, around about this time. I would say it was a little bit after when I started to get more comfortable telling the story. And this young woman came to the show and she watched it. And and for a little bit of context for our listeners, and this is going to answer your question, Joseph. uh, The show was about uh, this, uh, my friend, Jim's uncle, who was living as a gay man in the 50s and 60s in Temecula, California. And um, his partner passed away in bed next to him. And it was about the AIDS epidemic. And it was a very intense show. And it was a beautiful show. And afterwards, there was a Q&A. And this young woman, who was probably no older than 17, 16 or 17, during the Q and A, she asked me, how do I tell my story? I'm so, how do I tell my parents I'm a lesbian? And I, I remember sharing my experience with, though it's not the same, it's vulnerable. I said, just tell one person you feel brave enough to tell that you Mm. trust and that you love And then walk away and notice how you feel. And if it still feels hard and it still feels uncomfortable, then sit with the uncomfortability. And then when you feel like you're in another space with another another brave space with another person who's shared something vulnerable with you and you can safely share your, your truth with them, then share it with them. And then just take baby steps. And I use the word pepper just like I did with you. And I said, and just kind of leave a little pepper here and a little bit of pepper there. And then every time you do just notice, what do you feel? Are you becoming stronger? Are you feeling more brave? Are you feeling what's your heart doing? What's your breath doing? And, and that's what I, I just naturally chose to do that in spaces where I felt comfortable enough sharing with somebody. And then I did share, sometimes you're going to get it wrong. Sometimes you're going to think that you're in a brave space with somebody and you're going to tell your story and it's going to feel like shit. Yep. Yep. Sometimes you're going to get it wrong. And sometimes you'll get it wrong. And uh, that's how I would explain it is the way I explained it to that young girl. That's beautiful. And then eventually you'll be able to tell your parents. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. And that's a good, that's an, I'm so glad you asked that, Joseph, because, mm-hmm. and then you explained it because that is a, a wonderful way to share anything, whether it's trauma or um, a big, bright idea that you're, you you want to activate and, and create. Yeah. I, I encourage you, I encourage people to share 
that amazing thing that you think you're going to create with just one person and somebody you trust and they, and they love and respect you so that you can have like an incubation uh, period of time. And somebody's holding that, that bright idea, that vision for you while you work out some of your, the kinks around it, you know, the, do I want to do it thing? Sure. Yeah. yeah. You guys are spectacular. So are you. You're spectacular. And I swear I want to come to New York to see your show. Okay. So, I will let you know. I oh, will. When I have a date, I will, I'll, I will send you the press release. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, please do. Yes. Um, I used to have lots of friends that lived in New York. They've all come, uh, you know, to the West now, but or, the sun. Or, yeah. they wanted the, yeah, sun. the sun. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the person who's like, I'm going to move to New York and live in the winter. I love the seasons though. So I, I actually thrive in seasonal yeah. four season weather. Mm -hmm. Good. Yeah. Good for you. That's good for you. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so you guys that are listening, the podcast is, are you waiting for permission? And Meredith and, and Joseph are oh, just so much bright light in the world. Thank you. Oh, thank, thank you. you and I'll just share with your listeners that it's a guest-based podcast. So it's not just us two on mic, yeah. but we always have a guest, except for one time where we chose not to, um, tapping into the, their brilliance and their wisdom. So mm -hmm. that's the format of our show. Yeah. And you guys are really good at it. You make it so much fun. So um, is there anything else, anything you want to say? Is there a website you want people to check out or... Yeah. Meredith, you go first. I'm, I'm going to speak for Joseph. I, I, I feel this need to say josephbennett.org is a website that you need to check out. And you also need to check out, uh, Joseph, Joseph, you can give the information for this, but he has a writing retreat that sounds oh. absolutely oh, divine. And I, I, it, you need to talk about it because it sounds amazing. And Joseph and his husband, Eli have a gorgeous retreat center and are the most amazing guests on the planet or hosts on the planet. So oh, I'm now going to hand this baton you, over to you. you, Joseph. Yes. So, um, thank you. Samigelretreats.com is that website. The retreat is happening in April. It's already halfway sold out, which is amazing. I'm super excited about that. That's we're, awesome. Yeah, we're only um, opening it up to 12 people for a number of reasons because of space and COVID and safety and intimacy and sharing and vulnerability, some of the things yeah. we talked about today. So SanMiguelRetreats.com, it happens in April and it's for writers of all levels. And we are looking at going to the pyramids and writing there for the sacredness of what's happening there and going to the hot springs and having a ceremony about releasing some of our inner and outer critics and going to the botanical gardens for walking meditation and writing. So it'll be a gorgeous, gorgeous. How many experience. days is it, Joseph? Six days. Six days. Oh my God, I want to go and I, we're, I'm, I won't be able to, but because I got chills as you started talking about that. I was like, oh, but I do have a couple of friends I'm going to send this to. Thank you. I'll make sure you have the link. And then there's grundicoaching.com, right, Meredith? There is. 
Yeah, I uh, am a public speaking presentation skills coach for one and one one individuals one on one. I have a group coaching program called Confidently Speaking that Joseph's actually a member of, and then I do uh, coaching for organizations as well. You're Thank busy, you, Joseph. Both of you guys are really, really, really busy. We are active. I took the word busy out of my vocabulary. We're active. We're active. You know, uh, I I have a really good book I want to recommend to you guys. It's called Rest, The Art of Doing Less. (laughs) I hear it's amazing. Amazing. (laughs) You guys, thanks so much for joining me. This has been so fun. I think we might have to check in at the end of 2022 with each other and just see how everything's unfolded. I feel that would be a wonderful idea. Yeah. So I'm just going to end everybody with, and so it is, namaste. Well, that wraps up our empowering chat today. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, go to susanborrell.com. You can see all the information about my new book, Live an Empowered Life, a 30-Day Journey. You can also access guided meditations that I have on Insight Timer through the website and just see what else is out there on my site that you might find empowering and exciting to experience. You can also contact me through the website at susan at susanborell.com. That's it for today. See you next time.